This is Radio Maria England, and we now present Poetry for the Season, Lent, with poet Sally Reed. There is grey in your hair. Young men no longer suddenly catch their breath when you're passing. How would you feel if someone said that to you? Well, those lines are from one of the most romantic poems in the world, actually, and I hope to show you how they can help us on our Lenten journey. So welcome to Poetry for the Season. I'm Sally Reed, speaking to you from By the Sea, near Rome. There is grey in your hair. It's the opening line of a poem that you may know by William Butler Yeats, called Broken Dreams. I read those opening lines to my daughter and she said, you like that because it's about you. (laughs) But I've always loved those words, even as a young woman. Before I read the whole beautiful poem, let me give you a bit of background. Yeats was, of course, an Irish poet. And as a young man, he fell in love with a woman called Maud Gone. Maud was beautiful, Anglo-Irish and very political. She espoused the Irish nationalist cause and was active in the Irish independence movement, especially promoting Irish language and art. She was also an actress, but perhaps she's remembered best as Yeats's muse. Yeats proposed to her at least four times, and each time she refused him. On one occasion, writing to him, you make beautiful poetry out of what you call your unhappiness, and are happy in that. Marriage would be such a dull affair, Poets should never marry. The world should thank me for not marrying you. Maud actually married another man, and Yeats another woman. But his unrequited love for Maud gave literature in the English language some of its finest poems. Now, why would I be telling you all this on a programme for Lent? Let's be clear, Yeats wasn't a Catholic. His family was Protestant, but Yeats rejected religion completely, although he could never let go of the supernatural, turning instead to the occult and strange spiritualism throughout his life. He particularly disliked Catholicism. And when Maud Gone converted to the faith in 1902, Yeats was displeased. There are some lines in the poem I'm about to read that always puzzled me as a younger woman. Let me read them now ahead of time, so hopefully they don't puzzle you, because I believe now that these lines are all about Maud's conversion to Catholicism. Listen. Your small hands were not beautiful, and I am afraid that you will run and paddle to the wrist in that mysterious, always brimming lake where those that have obeyed the holy law paddle and are perfect leave unchanged the hands that I have kissed. Well, clearly, Yeats wants her imperfection. He wants her hands that aren't pretty. But what is that brimming lake where those that have obeyed the holy law paddle and are perfect? I think he was afraid of her becoming a saint. He dreaded her transformation. And yet, as you listen to the poem, you'll see that he describes her in some ways almost as a saint already. So let's listen to the whole thing, and then I'll tell you what this has to do with us and our Lent. Broken Dreams by W.B. Yeats. There is grey in your hair. Young men no longer suddenly catch their breath when you are passing. But maybe some old gaffer mutters a blessing because it was your prayer for your soul's sake that all hearts ache have known 
and given to others all hearts ache from meagre girlhoods putting on burdensome beauty for your soul's sake heaven has put away the stroke of her doom so great her portion in that peace you make by merely walking in a room your beauty can but leave among us vague memories nothing but memories a young man when the old men are done talking will say to an old man tell me of that lady the poet stubborn with his passion sang us when age might well have chilled his blood vague memories nothing but memories but in the grave all all shall be renewed the certainty that i shall see that lady leaning or standing or walking in the first loveliness of womanhood and with the fervor of my youthful eyes has set me muttering like a fool you are more beautiful than anyone and yet your body had a flaw your small hands were not beautiful, and I am afraid that you will run and paddle to the wrist in that mysterious, always brimming lake where those that have obeyed the holy law paddle and are perfect. Leave unchanged the hands that I have kissed for old sake's sake. The last stroke of midnight dies all day in the one chair from dream to dream and rhyme to rhyme I have ranged in rambling talk with an image of air. Vague memories, nothing but vague memories. Oh, what beauty. The poem rambles on the page, a long monologue, a gentle contemplation. What penetrating love that doesn't care about gray hairs and wants the imperfections. It was your prayer recovered him upon the bed of death. You see how he views her as a saint. Heaven has put away the stroke of her doom, so great her portion in that peace you make by merely walking in a room. What torment Yeats must have gone through to love so much and not have had her. Look, I don't claim this is a holy poem, not at all, but I wonder if there was wisdom in Maud's words in that letter. Poets have to suffer to produce art. We all have to suffer to produce anything. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. You can probably think of a few examples of dying to yourself in your own life, of not getting what you want, of sacrificing your own wants and needs for the sake of another. As Catholics, we're lucky because we know how to unite those losses with Christ's sacrifice. And we know that God will transform our sacrifices for our good and the good of the world. Now, maybe you knew that poem by Yeats and maybe you didn't, but my money is on you not knowing this next poem. I didn't know it, nor even the poet, until I came upon it looking for poems about mothers. Why was I searching for mothers? Well, when we're thinking about dying to ourselves, about the grain of wheat that falls so it can bear fruit, Mothers are the people who come most easily to mind. Of course, it can be fathers too, or anyone who cares for someone else. Anyone who knows how to hand over the last piece of chocolate cake, or to sleep on the floor next to someone who isn't well. This poet is a forgotten modernist, and I was really surprised not to have come across her before, as I love the modernists. Her name is Lola Ridge, and she was born in Ireland, but as an adult moved to America. 
She was a bohemian, a radical, a feminist, which I think is why she's been recently republished. And this poem, Mother, is quite beautiful. It's what we might call imagistic because it relies heavily on images to convey its feeling and to make its point. The first line, your love is like moonlight, is the key. She's describing a mother's love as something absolutely transformative, how it creates a world for her children and allows them to see themselves in new ways. But that light is an instrument and she is an instrument. By the end of the poem, you'll see that the image of the mother herself is broken, like the fallen grain of wheat that allows birth in other things. Mother by Lola Ridge. Your love was like moonlight, turning harsh things to beauty, so that little wry souls reflecting each other obliquely as in cracked mirrors, beheld in your luminous spirit their own reflection, transfigured as in a shining stream, and loved you for what they are not. You are less an image in my mind than a luster. I see you in gleams, pale as starlight on a grey wall, evanescent as the reflection of a white swan, shimmering in broken water. It's lovely, isn't it? All of that white, the moonlight, the starlight, the swan. It's interesting because when I first read it, I loved it. And then when I read about Ridge's life, I was a bit ambivalent because I wondered whether she meant to be negative about motherhood and saw it as a weak role. I hope that I'm more than a luster or a gleam to my daughter, but I suspect that all mothers are a kind of weather and we should be background in the drama of our children's personalities developing. Again, it's that dying to the self. The cycle of dying and bearing fruit is, of course, a great truth. And like all the great truths of the faith, it's reflected and mirrored in all aspects of life and nature. Let's hear a poem now, rooted absolutely in nature, for the sumptuousness of what we can reap. John Keats was another grain of wheat who died and bore much fruit. Keats is my favourite romantic poet because of the vividness and the sensuality of his language. As you listen to this poem, pay attention if you can to the sibilance, all the s's, and the sensuality of all the verbs. You can practically smell the fruit. The poem is written to autumn, as if autumn was a person, and it tells us more about the dying of the year and the reaping that we can do. To Autumn by John Keats Season of mists and mellow fruitfulness, close bosom friend of the maturing sun, conspiring with him how to load and bless with fruit the vines that round the thatch eaves run, to bend with apples the mossed cottage trees and fill all fruit with ripeness to the core, to swell the gourd and plump the hazel shells with a sweet kernel to set budding more and still more later flowers for the bees until they think warm days will never cease for summer has o'erbrimmed their clammy cells who hath not seen thee oft amid thy store sometimes whoever seeks abroad may find thee sitting careless on a granary floor 
thy hair soft lifted by the winnowing wind, or on a half-wheat furrow sound asleep, drowsed with the fume of poppies, while thy hook spares the next swathe and all its twined flowers. And sometimes, like a gleaner, thou dost keep steady thy laden head across a brook, or by a cider press, with patient look, thou watchest the last oozings, hours by hours. Where are the songs of spring? I, where are they? Think not of them, thou hast thy music too. While barred clouds bloom the soft dying day and touch the stubble plains with rosy hue, then in a wailful choir the small gnats mourn among the river sallows borne aloft, or sinking as the light wind lives or dies, and full-grown lambs loud bleat from hilly born. Hedge crickets sing, and now with treble soft, the red breast whistles from a garden croft, and gathering swallows twitter in the skies. maturing, loading, blessing, swelling, plumping, budding. <laughs> it's so plentiful and fat, tantalizing in the lean times of Lent. I can just see the stubble plains with rosy hue. I've never seen anything like a British autumn anywhere else in the world. In Italy, we kind of segue from late summer to dismal winter. Anyway, there are all the sounds in this poem too of the lambs bleating and the hedge crickets singing and the whistling and the twittering of birds. Keats made it seem all so beautiful and so easy. But life and nature isn't always so. The fruit, as you know, is not always so easily got. I want to turn now to another poet who maybe you've heard of, but I doubt that you have. She's called Vassa Miller, and she was born in 1924 in Houston, Texas. She had cerebral palsy, which made walking and talking very difficult indeed. And later in life, she lost the use of her hands altogether and would dream of having a voice-activated computer. I suppose they weren't available back then. And I guess perhaps she couldn't write at all, or perhaps, like Milton, when he went blind, she dictated her poems to somebody else. She lived in the family home for most of her life and travelled in her motorised wheelchair to church and to the class where she taught creative writing. She published ten books of poetry and died in 1998. Her collected poems are in a volume called If I Had Wheels or Love. It's very powerful. In her poetry, she wrestles with the issues of pain, impotence and loneliness and is absolutely unflinching and unsentimental. I really do recommend her. One of the most important things about her, I don't think she'd mind me saying, was her faith. She was deeply Christian and much of her poetry is addressed to God and is about prayer and suffering. She was unfashionable through her life and she's unfashionable now, and yet her work is enduring, and I think it will endure because it's very good and very honest. 
I read in the New York Times that when she was asked about the meaning of her life, she answered, to write and to serve God. Here is one of Vassar Miller's sonnets, without ceremony, from Wage War on Silence, copyright 1960, Vassar Miller, published by Wesleyan University Press and broadcast with permission. <clears throat> without ceremony by Vassar Miller. Except ourselves, we have no other prayer. Our needs are sores upon our nakedness. We do not have to name them. We are here. And you who can make eyes see no less. We fall not on our knees, but on our hearts. A posture humbler far and more downcast. While Father Pain instructs us in the arts of praying, hunger is the worthiest fast. We find ourselves where tongues cannot wage war on silence. Father, mystics never flew, but on the common wings of what we are, born on the wings of what we bear toward you, O word in whom our wordiness dissolves, when we have not a prayer except ourselves. Except ourselves, we have no other prayer. That's worth pondering. In fact, every line of that sonnet is worth pondering. Through praying and fasting, we find ourselves where tongues cannot wage war on silence. That was evidently important to her as she named the collection where this poem first appeared, Wage War on Silence. And listen to these lines again. But on the common wings of what we are, born on the wings of what we bear towards you, O word, in whom our wordiness dissolves when we have not a prayer except ourselves. Stark and beautiful, isn't it? Vassar was a woman who struggled with a great many things. I read actually in the New York Times that she was often seen tipping over in her motorized wheelchair in the street and laughing her head off and saying, don't help me, don't help me, I'll get up on my own. Anyway, I think she has a lot to teach us about life and art. Poets know all about sacrifice, you know. All the poets I've read have made sacrifices for their art or turned their sacrifices into art. All, with grace, have turned their losses into fruit. It can be the hardest thing to renounce something, to give up, to self-efface. But God works in all things for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Our burdens become sweet if we have that love which I guess Vassar Miller knew. God will bring great things from you if you let him be the author of your life. Remember, he is a poet, and you are the fruit he wants to bring forth. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.